Hello and welcome to the Arrow Video Podcast with Sam and Dan, but without Sam. Um, this is another of our Arrow Insider episodes. Uh, my name is Dan Martin, special effects artist and podcaster, and this time I am joined by Nora Mahenny from Arrow. Uh, Nora, do you want to introduce yourself, tell uh, people what your job title is and what that means? <laughs> so, hi Dan, really nice to be here in your amazing flat covered in amazing memorabilia. You guys can't <laughs> see it, I can. <laughs> So, yes, I'm Nora Mehenny, uh, and uh, I've been uh, with Arrow for, like, only with Arrow for nearly five years, I think. And before that, I was working for them with uh, an offering house. So, what I do, I used to be the QC monster. That was my old title. <laughs> <And> now <laughs> I am the, how do you say this, the production and assets manager and the QC supervisor. QC as in quality control. So, I pretty much lived in a closet. <laughs> in my underwear, watching all of the Arrow <laughs> releases <laughs> until they reach the ultimate like, form, you know, until they were perfect and ready for you lovely people out there. So what does that entail? So presumably once the film has been mastered, and by mastered I mean put on the actual physical media, then you have a, like a test disc printed, I assume? No, it's like we work in parallel with the offering house. Yeah, offering is something that is nearly from the past now, but thanks to people like us and all the other nice label, it's still out there. By the way, is there, if there are any offers out there, make yourself known. <laughs> you guys so are. what is an offering house? Uh, offering house is like, you have these people that actually made the disc, uh, which is you, co you go from, uh, it can be the menus, it can be everything related to navigation and how the disc works, but it's also about compression and, uh, you know, compressing the masters into like something that would fit on a single disc. Because when you receive a master from, from the restoration house, from James White and company, uh, the master could be like between 100 and 300 gig, and the Blu-ray is 50 gig, yeah. actually 43. So we have to compress everything. And as you know, we don't put just the film on there. Of course. So it's all about like calculating bit rates, like making sure the compression is good, is steady, and is like faithful to what the master looks like. And it's also, you know, it's about knowing tech stuff. Like is in, a, you don't need to allocate as much budget for an archival piece that is from the 80s and is like full of analog noise. Uh, is there, if there is a lot of noise, you want more, like more bit budget. If it's something really sleek, you don't need as much. And uh, yeah, it's all about knowing video and compressing it in a, in the best way, so it looks great. So this may be a uh, this may be a, a, a silly question. I remember when Blu-ray first sort of started coming out. One of the things that was being talked about, especially during the Blu-ray HD DVD battle <laughs> at the beginning, was that Blu-ray was, uh, whereas DVD was available single or double layered, the argument was that Blu-ray would ultimately be, there was no limit to the number of layers. So I think Ooh. it was 25 gigabytes per layer or 23 point something gigabytes it's per a, layer. Well, basically nobody really uses BD25s. Okay. It's uh, Well, you, sometimes you can use them if you have a very light release with like a second disc, that would be an extras disc where you wouldn't have like that many hours of a program on. But we all go for 50 because, you know, the, the, the difference, in price, difference in price is really minimal. Mm -hmm. And for what you get, you know, it's uh, like we're working towards definitive editions now. We're not working about like saving money here and there, which is like very minimal. So in terms of making definitive edition, you want to have the maximum space. It's just like I don't think maybe old school titles from the supermarket were maybe mm -hmm. DVD fives. 
But then the whole industry went to DVD9 straight away. So it's the same thing with the Blu-ray. I still have some 11s. <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> the old flippers, five on each side. <laughs> yeah, is that, is that 11 or is that six? I can't. I used to know all of this. but um, So is, is Blu-ray 75 or Blu-ray 100? Is that a thing? Blu-ray like, is 50, but Blu-ray is maybe pushing forward. You know, we'll see. It's all about, you know, like the way people were saying like a few years back that Blu-ray would never go anywhere. It's the people that are eating their DVDs, you know, <laughs> now at the moment. <laughs> like, feeding themselves on their old DVDs because they have nothing else to eat. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah. The technology, I don't think the technology is going to boom like the way it did between the VHS and Betamax towards the disc. But it's just the disc is going to get more competent and you're going to be able to cram much more material on it. And this is happening, but I guess... I guess there's hardware limitations as well to going to triple and quadruple layer discs. So when you're putting together a a project that has, let's say, a long film, were you involved? Presumably you were involved in the QC for something like Waterworld as well. (laughs) And I know that that's not one that we're specifically here to talk about, but because it's such a long film Mm -hmm. and because there were three versions of that film Mm -hmm. and a feature-length documentary, that's a lot of information to fit on the disc. So presumably some hard choices have to be made about like sacrificing quality, say, on the documentary where it's not as important, that kind of thing. Yes, there is, but it's all co- coherent. You know, you look at the material and also when you work with Wizard Mackenzie, you know, like <laughs> David, our dear wizard, and uh, these people that just like compress the shit out of things without making it look bad. You know, it's all about understanding how video works. And if you're really into video, you know where you can save some data and where you can't. And, you know, with this thing of multiple versions as well, what we tend to do a lot is what's called seamlessly branched titles oh yeah okay i remember this so instead of having three times the film taking three times the amount of space you have the film as a main core like divided in sections where the the, the, there's different version where there will be like four more frames on this version like two minutes here three minutes there so then everything just works in together as little bits. So it's more like the chapters become a playlist. Yeah. So you choose the, like having an album with a different couple of tracks in it. You yeah. can just drop them in instead of having a whole different It's what we do album. as well with all these Jolly titles, you know, where you always have like a, an Italian version, an English version with different credits, for mm. example, in English language or in Italian language. We're not going to compromise the quality of the main core of the film. So we do seamless branching and then it looks fantastic because at the end you're just adding a front and a back and that's it. It's just like five minutes each end. So it's not like twice the, I, the length. I remember an early version of this on DVD for one of the Alien box sets, I think, and it wasn't as good back then. So you'd get little pauses yeah, when it was pause. changing between it's quickly. <laughs> it's like, oh, toilet break. Trying to find <laughs> the next chapter, yeah. Oh, that's really interesting. So you... so. When a film that you're QCing, like by the time it goes out, how many times will you have sat and watched that movie all the way through? <laughs> quite a few times, quite a few times, because, you know, we like to shoot ourselves in the foot, you know, yeah. <laughs> put like six or seven different audio tracks. And, you know, what, with QC, it's like if there is a fault somewhere and you fix it, you have to QC it again. So, for example, like for titles from Reanimator to other things where you have like seven audio tracks, when Old Boy is going to come out, it's like 12 tracks on one, <laughs> one watch. <laughs> I mean, if, there's a, if there is no problem, it's a minimum of 12 watches. But of course, there is always problems. Yeah, there's always going to be something. Everybody knows that. So, so let's talk about the, uh, the, the titles 
that you're really here to discuss, the yeah. Mount Everest of QC <laughs> yes. that was the Herschel Gordon Lewis Blood Feast set. It so, was painful, but I love every second of it. How many how many <laughs> films are there in the box set? Well, it's a 17-disc box mm-hmm. set. So we've won this for the Godfather of Gore. documentary, yeah. And uh, so it was uh, It was at the old times where we were doing dual formats. Yeah. <laughs> so DVD and Blu-ray. Crazy. So, yeah, it, it was quite a bunch of films. And all of them introduced by Herschel Gordon-Lewis himself, looking straight at the camera, <laughs> looking at you. And, um, yeah, they were like, I mean, it was quite a lot of work with, for the restoration team as well because, you know, working hand-in-hand hand with something weird video, which are like the yeah. chaperone of, uh, of of these titles, and making them look awesome as well. Because in, in some of the cases, we loved... Of course, we always want to go back to the original negative, but it's not possible in all the cases. So in this one, it like lots of mix of prints, of negs, of uh, digital elements, upscaled things. You know, it was like quite a mixed bag. So it was quite intense in terms of QC because... Uh, you know, as we do it, you know, we always like to add the best elements here and there so things are not delivered at the same time. So you start working on a project, you go to another one, you come back and uh, you watch this one seven times, this one eight. And uh, basically it was just me in my underwear sweating and watching Gordon Lewis <laughs> for hours and hours. Like 20 hours of Herschel Gordon Lewis in that not box for a month. It was, I think you see the QC operation in this one lasted about a month or a month and a half. Wow. So it was, uh, because, you know, it, you have to check all the subtitles as well. So you have to watch yeah, it all the way through each everything. time with every version of every subtitle. Yeah. And then do you have to see whether or not the, like if you, let's say you've got three audio tracks and five subtitle tracks, do you have to watch every possible combination or is it enough to just watch it with the subtitles in English each time? Or do you have to watch like the audio commentary with the subtitles and the... Oh, I mean, no, not in that sense, no. Like, you take everything as, a, as an element. As a separate element, okay. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, that's the thing. In the first watch, you, what you want to see is make sure that the video is fine with the main audio, but at the same time, you have to QC the subs because when you do the commentary, you can't QC the subs. Yes. As in content timing... Also, it depends on where we're releasing things. So we go for US English or UK English. Uh, when you work on a SDH title, which is like for hard of hearing, it's much easier because you just do what you hear. Whereas if it's a translation and you don't speak Japanese by any chance, you know, it's, yeah. uh, okay, is that correct? You know, so you have, it's a lot of work, to be honest. It's, uh, I think people don't realize because nowadays when you watch a film, um, people don't leave their phone behind, you know? They're always checking on their phone, you know? They're never really focused. People are like, oh, you do QC? Oh, your job is watching movies. Ha, 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 And then you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah come yeah, to my room. Just yeah, watching movies. Yeah. No, can't look away for a second. You don't you look away. Because you can't miss a frame. <laughs> if you miss it, you know, it's that's it. It's, co- it's made manufactured 2,000 copies and it's your fault, you know? That's, yeah, that's, that's <laughs> tough. That's a tough responsibility. <laughs> yeah. So what's the, what's obviously, presumably, the best thing about the QC is that you get to see all of these amazing films. Yeah, do you uh, live with them, basically? Yeah. Um, what's, the, what's the most unpleasant or gruelling aspect of QC? Um, French cinema. 
so I'm French, so I'm allowed to say this. <laughs> I mean, I can, I can sit through like a thousand times of Herschel Good Lewis, but I can't sit through a whole Godard movie. It's very hard for me. People <laughs> no. smoking cigarettes and doing shopping lists, you know, it's just, no. <laughs> But Gordon Lewis for me is a kind of a weird story because uh, I've I've grown up with horror movies. Yeah, that's maybe why I was the QC monster, you know. <laughs> and uh, I used to have Canal Plus, you know, in France we had yeah. Canal Plus, was showing like completely insane movies, and my mum was crazy enough to let me watch them at a tender age of five, six years old. So I used to be, I remember watching his films when I was very sick and I was having fever. So I always like put the two and two together. For me, Herschel Gordon Lewis comes with sickness. So because it's so, it's like a hallucinogenic sort of material, you know, like the way it's filmed, the colors, the way it's so intense and in your it's face. It's like a fever dream. It's a fever dream completely. So that's why it's like, a, I had this like inside me as a kid, always like put his name with me being bedridden. <laughs> And then when something weird video came and uh, I had to go and give all my money because it was a DVD import from the US and it was costing so much money to get just one of these titles that you get for two quid off eBay now. Yeah. Life is beautiful. I think <laughs> I still I still have all my something weird like Keeper Case DVDs. I loved it. Despite now, you know, all of the content from them because you work so closely with something yeah. weird has moved across to the the, the Golden Lewis box Nick set. Nick amazing job. I'm... Yeah. I'm I feel like I need to get rid of them to make space, but also they're they're no, quite dear no. to me. But I have all those films now, and not to mention the fact that, of course, Arrow are now releasing a lot of the Herschel Lewis films on standalone yeah. for people who don't either have the room or the budget or the desire to have the the whole lot. The uh, it's people that don't want to have the amazing box set, shocking gore that is yeah. <laughs> sold out. Yeah, exactly. Baby. That's long gone. <laughs> but the but the Blood Feast box set's still available, right? Yeah, the like feast the, is the still feast available. Is that still big serial box, uh, by the way, like which was all the design was approved by Herschel Gordon Lewis himself. You and Count are one of our top producers done an amazing job on this one and uh, yeah it was really hard actually because when I finished the QC process there is all this you know as I told you all this intro when he's looking into your eyes and go like okay next coming up this stuff will kill you <laughs> so I made the film and then you really get into it like completely like hypnotized by this guy's face and by the time I signed off the last disc of the whole box a day later he died are you serious? It he was died. That? Yeah, it was that that time. You know, so I felt like my God, who took it? Somebody snatched my granddad away. You know, yeah. Like, lived for a month and a half with this man looking into my soul and like, hey, you like this weird thing, don't you? Huh? And uh, you know, and he fucking died, and it was like hard heartbroken. Yeah. I was heartbroken. It was like yeah, they took him away, and uh, I was dying to see him hold that box set and go like, yeah, you know, great oh, job, guys. Shame. I mean, it was it was a shame anyway, but the timing is is incredible. But he did approve everything, which is for us very uh, feels good, you know. Was there much back and forth? Did he have notes that meant you had to change stuff, or was he very well? Like, not the, in terms of disc. I think more in terms of artwork, but Ewan would be a better person to ask because he was the one like in relation with him. With like, the prints, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I work only with discs, to be honest. That's why now I'm in charge of production, but with discs only because I may be the only person in a company that has the overview of all the offering system of all the titles because the producers have their own titles, but they all like funnel to the set to the same offering company, which then I'm managing for for them. Wow. Okay. So, so you're sort of you're probably you've got a wider overview of the of the output of Arrow than any of the other individuals, except yeah. possibly the the very very top brass. 
Yeah, we are the ACTION, to quote Buba Otep. We're the ACTION <laughs> people, you know? <laughs> it's like, because sometimes the guys in Inquisition, I mean, they do a stellar job, but sometimes they get something and they don't see it coming out for like two years or even yeah. more if there are problems with the rights holders. But for us, it's more in the action, we're on the ground, and it's like, okay, now we're working on this, this is an August release, this is a September release. So yeah, we have the entire scope of all the releases of Arrow, and... It's a lot of good stuff, I have to say. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Yeah, obviously, they're your world-class distribution. Um, talking about Herschel Gordon Lewis, obviously you have a very close affection to him. Is there a particular title that stands out for you in the in the box set? <laughs> <laughs> so hard, you know. Well, let me let me, let me reframe that then. <laughs> what's a what's a good entry level Herschel Gordon Lewis? Someone who's a heard very of good his entry name, label. Oh, heard of his name but doesn't. Hasn't seen any of his films. Yeehaw! <laughs> All <laughs> gonna rise again. <laughs> 2000 Maniacs. Yes, there was a 2000 Maniacs before the remake. <laughs> <laughs> no, 2000, mani 2000 Maniacs for me, it's like, I love it. Like the, the, the bleak darkness of, uh, you know, people killing with a smile on their face. I mean, when they put that woman in the barrel, like the person in the barrel full of n nails, you know? And these close-up of the Salvin people, just like glee, the glee on their face, you know. It's uh, I adore this dark side that he embraced so well, and of course the the colors, the blood, the the Salvin flag, the Pleasantville, where everybody's so damn nice, you know. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, goodbye guys, goodbye tourists. It's a real tourist trap. <laughs> and now surrounded by a real tourist trap. Yeah. The, uh, <laughs> The Disney, as they take over everything, have, have sort of absorbed the town where it was filmed. But apparently, a lot of it's still standing, isn't it? There's there's this little God, pocket. That, that would be a real nightmare, like a Disney themed town like Pleasantville. Mm. Oh, but, but, but that's but, but where they where they filmed the movie in Florida. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, 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 it's yeah. been completely consumed. So very very peculiar. No, uh, I don't want to go there. No, you don't, you, you're not <laughs> no, tempted no, no, to go no, and no. visit the 2000 no, Maniac you know, space. In the film, it disappears. It's a uh, it, it's a dream, years. you know, it goes into a fog and that's what I love in that film is that it's like a glimpse into a nightmare, as I said, you know, Technicolor nightmare, Herschel Gordon Lewis, hello. It's just like these blinding colors. And, and yeah, what's worse and what's also the best in the American culture, I think, you know, this uh, exploitation, the, everybody is a bit scared of rednecks. I am. <laughs> <laughs> I am very scared of rednecks, <laughs> I have to say. I'm more scared of human than giant monsters. You know, if King Kong was in the room, I'll be hugging him to death. Yeah. And he would be running away from me. <laughs> but rednecks, oh my God, it's so scary. You know, it's like all that is bleak and crazy in the human race. And uh, yeah, I love that, like horror with a smile. I'm a big fan of like absurd and uh, funny gore and things like this. You know, like Frank Hannon Lotter or things like that. So of for course. me, it's... Uh, Without Herschel, there is like, uh, yeah, this guy kickstarted something. And yeah, for anyone that has never seen his films, of course, people would say Blood Feast is the one because, you know, it's so, have you right ever had an Egyptian feast? Yeah. But I think 2000 Maniacs is easier to digest because it's genuinely fun. And it's got Cody Mason. There's a, there's <laughs> a line in uh, the extra features on the, in the box set uh, where someone says, uh, 2000 Maniacs is a, is a better film than Blood Feast. But that's like saying something is the best Mexican wine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Send your reader <laughs> with an American accent. <laughs> that's it. I mean, for those of you who don't know, and this will be old information for, for a lot of our listeners, but 
Herschel Nurse was first and foremost an advertising man. He was responsible for a huge number of innovations in early... I think he invented direct mail marketing, which is the (laughs) grandfather of spam. So you've got him to thank for that. Um, Sending people shit they don't want through the post was his idea. And his early films were made with kit that he borrowed from an advertising company where he worked as a copywriter, and him and, and Friedman would... Friedkin, I said Friedkin. Shocking. <gasps> Mike, Mike, cut this out. <laughs> I'm obsessed with Friedkin at the moment because we're working on, you know, you, You're not allowed to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see if that makes it to yeah. the cut, if that gets uh, gets scissored out by uh, by Mike. But yeah, so uh, yeah, him and him and Friedman would, would take these cameras and they'd go and shoot their sort of like nudie fake docs and all that kind of stuff. And Lucky Pierre. Yeah. <laughs> I um, uh, A film I just worked on in Canada, uh, we shot on, a lot of it was shot on an old French zoom lens that had been uh, bought uh, by our cinematographer um, Karim Hussain, and the uh, mm. the the lens is is called Lucky Pierre. As <laughs> 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 a lovely little reference. Is that one of his X-ray lenses? You know, that <laughs> films you naked. Uh, no, it's no? a it's a it's a, an amazing zoom lens that has developed uh, a mold in the back optical chamber, which gives the whole thing this amazing like fog grain. It's beautiful. It's like old wine. French people can you know. Yeah. Everything looks old. <laughs> yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, so, and then, you know, with the, the sort of the softening and changing of legislation on pornography, that wasn't, that kind of did away with a lot of the stuff that Herschel and Dave were, were making. And so they would look for a new avenue of, 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 uh, revenue. of, of yeah, of revenue. And there weren't any legislations on violence at the time. So they came up with the idea of gore cinema, which is like, amazing. Yeah, the backbone <laughs> of so much that we love now. This is what we want, the catharsis, you know, like. I'm a metalhead as well, so you know I want brutal music. I'm a very soft person inside. <laughs> but if you give me some brutal truth, I'm really happy. <laughs> I've I, see. I, I love 2000 Maniacs. I I don't know if it counts as my as it would be my favorite, just because the the soundtrack's incredible. But it's very it's kind of unique in Herschel's output. Mm. So much more of it has that kind of like tribal drum kind of oh which, yes you know, ominous drumming. Yeah, boom. You know, boom, in brackets, yeah. <laughs> as in the subtitling. Um, I did. I wrote my. Um, I wrote my dissertation at university uh, in part on Herschel Gordon Lewis, and as a result, my long-suffering housemates had to watch a lot of, <laughs> <laughs> not necessarily to their taste, films with me as I was digging through all this stuff. And that was at the time when something weird were just putting out those those first discs. To have, to have access to Herschel's um, audio commentaries then was was astonishing. Um, and I actually got to got to speak to him at the time as well. But the running joke in the house was that Herschel, like people wouldn't turn up to stuff. Whenever you hear Herschel talking about f- his films, a huge number of the artistic quote unquote decisions were made because someone stood him up. <laughs> <laughs> so like the police chief in Bloodfeast is cast because the guy they had cast to play the police chief just didn't show up on the day. And Herschel saw like a friend of his walking down the street and he's like, hey, you want to be in a film? <laughs> Nice. And That's that often guy, the best decisions. Oh, just amazing. But but and and when you watch the opening credits to a lot of the things, Herschel's done a lot of that himself, including I think the music for Bloodfeast. Yes, he, he did is himself. singing the main and title he sang the, of on uh, Two Thousand Maniacs. Is him in vocals? Yeah. I adore this thing, like when directors <laughs> go the extra mile, like in Vice Squad. I told you I would talk about you, Vice yeah, Squad. Yeah, you wanted to sneak Vice Squad in. <laughs> you know when Gary Sherman wrote the theme of Vice Squad, Neon Slime, sang by Wings Hauser, like the main character, the pimp in the film. 
I love when people just put that really personal touch. Like, it's really nice. <laughs> but you're right. It doesn't have the imprint of the other one with just that really slow drumming. It's like, you know, how many times can you use the same soundtrack and it's still good? I love it. I love it. But that, <laughs> but that to me is that key to the fever dream feel. It is. It is, is completely. Beca because you do, like, it's quite an oppressive sound and everything else is so, like, lurid technicolor and bright and Yeah, it's just dragging you inside the grave, you know? Yeah. Like, come here. It, it is like a death bell. It's yeah. amazing. Yeah. I love that film. I love those films. All of them. All of them have something in a, have something that influenced, like, other films. It's so nice to see, like, She Devils on Wheels as well, like, uh, being so close to uh, Faster Pussycat, you know, yeah. this thing of chicks with mutter things, like, you know, vibrating and things, and this uh, really badassery of women, and uh, Color Me Blood Red as well, like, how much for me it, like, links to Driller Killer, like, and Absolutely. Uh, the obsession of being, like, a failed artist, you know, and... Uh, and all that goes with it, even like um, that stuff will kill you with the white lightning song, you know, yeah. with the rednecks again. Well, <laughs> Everything. Yeah, like I think that's the thing. You he he benefited a lot from being an innovator. Like it's being right there at the beginning. There was it was all untrodden ground, and he set so many standards that even if people were pushing back against him, he you could never say he wasn't instrumental in artistic choices that came later and that's why he like that's why the ter the the title godfather of gore like that's mm -hmm. such a legitimate name for him because he he was there right at the beginning yeah it's the 60s vibe as well you know that was just about to give away to the 70s that are more brutal and full of angst you know so it's uh, the 60s it still has this light thing where people were experimenting lightly and then the 70s took it down in like down in the really in the deepest of of like the darkest corners of the human psyche. Well, that's the thing. And I think by the time you get to things like Gorgor Girls and stuff like that, like some of that fun was maybe waning a little bit for Herschel and the stuff started to feel a little bit less like light and frivolous. Oh, the deep fried face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. The sizzling sound is still with me. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, as you know, on the podcast, we ask people for recommendations based on this kind of thing. I'm hoping that this podcast will serve as a, as a lure to people to bring them in to, uh, to Herschel Gordon-Lewis if they, if they haven't embraced him as a, as a filmmaker. But um, Trash Gore Cinema and its ilk, uh, mm. if people listening are very familiar with Herschel, is there anything else that you would, you would want to recommend in that kind of theme? Well, in that theme, in the theme of like, you know, very lovable, evil people and feverish kind of dreams and things, I wanted to recommend the film we released a few years ago in a box set uh, called American Horror Project. It's called The Witch Who Came From the Sea. Yeah. With uh, Molly Perkins. And uh, Molly or Millie Perkins, I always forget. And she is, uh, that film for me is, wow, it's goosebumps. And uh, watching it for QC as well. It was uh, really intense because it's such a ride. I mean, the acting and the thing that I really hate, not hate is maybe a strong word, but nowadays with most movies is the lack of rhythm, the lack of good editing and story rhythm. Yeah. And it, that film, the empathy that you get for this character that is absolutely evil, but so human. I mean, it opens on Muscle Beach when she sees these hunks, like, you know, building up muscles <laughs> and she just sees them dead like with chains around their head and blood spurting and like really bad effects, you know, and uh, there's even a scene like that is like, you know, 
in uh, War of the Roses when she goes down on him and bites his junk. <laughs> <laughs> That's very 80s. You will see the 70s version of it is in that film, in The Witch. <laughs> you know, it's uh, insane. And it's like the repressed sexuality of this person and like the way her sexuality mixes with her violence that it's inherent to her, which you find out towards the end why. And uh, it's just these people that they break your heart your sense of empathy is there and they're committing crimes but you you can't look away and you want to be with them because you just want to give them a hug you know so hard and uh, for me that film was really strong and I had to watch it over and over and over again and her performance is oh my god you know and it's like topless nudity nothing looks sleazy it's much more like yeah the darkest side of the human being. I mean, when she's having the threesome with the two football players and slit their wrists and slit their throat, yeah, or like breaks a guy's rimp or li- wrist by you know breaking his tongue backwards, you know, and she's just a flimsy woman, like really tiny. And yeah, I don't know the the feeling of that film really got me got me going. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a very dark film. Like it's emotionally, there's mm. not a lot of respite. It's uh, what yeah, year is it? It's early early seventies. Seventy six. Oh, is that uh, that late? Yeah, it's definitely um, like it's. There are elements that you could compare to Herschel, certainly, but it is. You're completely right that that division of decade is is very apparent. It is. Yeah. Um, my recommendation, my first recommendation, is uh, significantly more frivolous. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, is um, uh, is that box set still available? The the feast the, the is Ameri- yeah. the, no the American uh, American Horror, Horror Project, Project is yeah, yeah the first one is and the second one is just coming out soon oh amazing what's in the second one so the second one is uh, yes okay it's uh, Dark August I've not seen Dark Dream August Dream No Evil and uh, let me see I can't remember what the third one was it's the one I liked the least I mean Dream No Evil was like wow 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 it's just yeah, I could have put Dream No Evil in that section of really wicked like female character in Dreamland completely fantasizing their life and their like system father issues as well like really weird but yeah I'll, i will let you uh that it's sounds coming, awesome it's do it uh, when 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 is that out i can't remember i would have to go back to my schedule that's fine i'd rather go back to the class of white wine we'll... yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, someone that's always been sort of like uh, has existed alongside Herschel in my in my mind. Although, to my knowledge, they never, I certainly never like produced anything together. But I don't know if they knew knew of each other or knew each other. Is a, a Mexican director called Rene Cardona Jr. He's probably most famous for Night of the Bloody Apes. But the film I wanted to recommend is a film called uh, Beaks, aka Evil Birds, <laughs> which is absolutely astonishing. Um, it stars Christopher Atkins who uh, had debuted a few years earlier in The Blue Lagoon uh, <laughs> and was a sort of a hunk. And it's essentially a rip-off of Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds. It's a... Um, it, it, like, if it were made now, it would be made by Asylum. It's a it's a complete theft. But it's it's got the same kind of, like, cash-in business savvy that Herschel Gordon-Lewis displayed with the kind of artistic naivete and just like delirious glee that makes his film so fantastic as well. It's the thing is like we've we've hit this sort of second wave of so bad it's good cinema mm-hmm. that's being yeah. made almost ironically like that. Whether it's Wiseau being hired to get involved with the sequel to um, Samurai Cop, like that kind of stuff, or <laughs> uh, or Birdemic, like those films. Like there's some fun to be had in them, but I feel that there's too much like. 
there's they they can't hit that magic because they're aware of it. They've seen their own reflection, and and as a result, they can't produce that kind of wonderful low grade, low brow like craziness because they know because they're, they're doing it on purpose. Because they're doing it on purpose, exactly. Uh, and I think that. Cardona Jr. is uh, is is one of those guys. He did a lot of wrestling movies. I mean, I think you couldn't lucha. really, yeah, a lot of lucha movies. But also, like, so Night of the Bloody Apes has a female lucha subplot in it Ooh. because that was how you got now things you got funded. <laughs> have, you, have, you, are you, are you, have you not seen Night of the Bloody Apes? No, you'll love it. Of course. Okay, I so we're, we'll talk about Beaks again in a minute. I'm gonna just pitch <laughs> you hard. I did this to Mike a little while ago. I really, really want Arrow to do like a little, uh, little Rene box set. Um, Night of the Bloody Apes is a, uh, a Mexican uh, horror mystery, like a police procedural sort of. A scientist has, his son is ill. He has weak blood. So the scientist decides to kidnap a gorilla from a local zoo in plain sight in a wheelbarrow from a cage that the gorilla could clearly fucking walk out of. <laughs> shoots him with a tranquilizer dart in the middle of the day, sticks him in a wheelbarrow and just fucks off. <laughs> they then uh, transplant the gorilla's heart into his son using uh, documentary footage of open heart surgery, which is what got the film on the video nasties list <laughs> back in the day. Um, and the son uh, wakes up seemingly cured and then unfortunately transforms into a sort of monkey human hybrid played by a Mexican wrestler rather than a waifish young Central American man uh, and goes on a uh, sort of like wig removing shirt ripping spree <laughs> through Mexico which has just some of the most delightful like attacks in it um, the logic is apparently not that he's turned into a half monkey because he's got a monkey heart, but that he, the monkey heart is too powerful, so it pumps the blood around his body so fast that he reverts to a primal state. Oh, so it's, yeah, there's a, that's a whole thing. Uh, <laughs> Full Patrick mode. But the main character in the film is the police officer who is investigating this spate of murders perpetrated by the monkey beast, whose wife girlfriend is a female wrestler and who is racked with guilt because she like pile-drived another female wrestler so hard she went into a coma <laughs> and her like comatose body is who the scientist kid like steals from the hospital to try and replace his son's monkey heart with a new human heart to undo <laughs> the terrible thing that he's done so these two How stories genre, like, can you tie together movie? really beautifully <laughs> <laughs> and there's an Nice There's an amazing you. line of dialogue in it, which I've been slightly misquoting for so many years that I now can't get away from my own paraphrasing of it. So this is a, a mild paraphrase, but it's got that wonderful thing in the English dub that is English dialogue written by non-English speakers, spoken by non-English speakers. <laughs> <laughs> and it's the guy, it's just explained to his uh, his his police chief who looks like a sort of Mexican telly savalis um, that, that he thinks that there's a monkey creature with a, like a human with a monkey heart or something like that going on in the city and that's what's causing all these murders and the police chief thinks he's a ludicrous like this is stupid obviously and the police chief's dismissal is one of my favourite lines in trash cinema he says I'll say that's improbable. It's more possible that of late, more and more on your television you have watched many of these pictures of terror <laughs> <laughs> It's it's an amazing film. There's like there's loads and loads of great moments where like uh, like an ambulance turns up at a park after a woman's been attacked in a park, and the the scene cuts out 
just late enough that you see that the extras left the handbrake off the ambulance and it started rolling off back down the hill. <laughs> <laughs> Keep rolling, there may be an accident yeah, coming. Yeah, absolutely incredible. <laughs> um, there's a lot of intercutting. Like, the, the beast unnecessarily tears open a lot of women's tops when it's, like, murdering people. Yes. But that all had to be done in studio <laughs> because all the locations... They couldn't shoot any nudity out in... So it'll cut from, like, a woman fully clothed, screaming and running, to, like, a woman on some very unconvincing astroturf having her top pulled <laughs> totally open. Totally different lights. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Possibly a different woman. <laughs> and then back to another wide, and the, the, the clothing's all back together mm -hmm. again. And Oh, it's amazingly, like... It's, it's Like I said, it's very naive so in its filmmaking. It yeah, absolutely beautiful. But his movie, Beaks, is this remake of... Uh, is this remake of The Birds. Uh, a female journalist is investigating a spate of bird attacks <laughs> um, and finds the survivors uh, in a town that got attacked by birds some years earlier and goes to investigate. She's a, both a terrible journalist and a terrible investigator. <laughs> Meanwhile, Good. we keep on intercutting people, just ha people with bread stuck to them, having pigeons thrown at them <laughs> in slow motion, which is how all of the bird attacks are done. It's... Again, just delightfully cack-handed uh, and a real treat. Um, I think there was an American DVD of uh, of Beaks uh, a little while ago. I don't know if it's still available. It's probably on YouTube, but all like ropey as hell quality. So hopefully someone will, will track down. I'd, I'd love to see a, a triple bill of, of Night of the Bloody Apes, uh, Bermuda Triangle and Beaks. And Beaks. Would be an amazing <laughs> box set. It would be like Mexican horror is like amazing. They oh, have there's a lot so of much good stuff there. there. Yeah, we um we were uh, lucky enough to have uh, Issa Lopez uh, guest on the podcast oh, back when we did the, the live one at Fright Fest, and I asked her if um if she had any recommendations of uh, of like Mexican horror films that a Western audience might not have come across. And one of the films she recommended was um, Even the Wind Was Afraid, which is a sort of haunted girls' school movie, and it's fantastic absolutely great um she recommended a couple of others as well that i've not been able to track down yet but i'm, I'm still searching <laughs> awesome tigers are not afraid <laughs> oh yeah tigers not afraid was great fun yeah, yeah yeah and she's uh and she's doing stuff with guillermo now as well so you know that's, that's good, some fun stuff to look out for um what's your second recommendation uh, in terms of uh, in in, wow. in relations, I'm oh, sorry, relation. I've, I've waited for so <laughs> long. I'm thinking of Big Slim. No, you, you, yeah, you have to recommend a movie based on a weird Mexican horror film you've not <laughs> seen. <laughs> <laughs> no, but my second one was another one that we released also a few years ago called Burnt Offerings. Oh yes, and uh, it is such a weird film. I mean, it's an adaptation from a book. I've never read the book, and uh, it's one of the films I had no idea what I was about to QC. And oh my fucking god! I mean the cast. Uh, I mean Karen Black, with Oliver Reed, yeah. with Betty Davis, yeah. with Mr. Meredith himself, you know. And this house, of course, that is the main character, and it's also from '76 as well. Like sounds like a very good year, and bleak. Yeah, bleak. It's like oh, I don't yeah. know. I'm I'm a very bad person because when I see violence against children and animals, I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm like clapping. I'm like, yeah, give me that world again of non PC films. You know, like I'm very much into the '70s for that reason. I think because it's like yeah, it's not tongue in cheek. You know, it's just in your face. And that film is beautiful because it's once again people that are seemingly amazing, a nice family moving in this super cheap property that is like, why is it so cheap? And it's massive. 
and they all like something happens to them. Everybody turns like full shining mode, you know, like yeah, it's uh, like a communal in their own shining. Way. <laughs> it's a communal shining, but each of them in their own way. Apart from the kids, that just like, whoop, here comes a chimney. I don't want to say too much about it. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, Oliver Reed like starting to like half drown his own child in the swimming pool. Uh, Karen Black losing her shit and just like turning into like this sort of. I'm gonna put possessed by the house. The house is feeding on them, and uh, and Betty Davis' performance is amazing. It's like uh, it's not that cheap thing of like, oh, I can't act anymore. I'm old. Like, let's put me somewhere. No, no, no. The the performance is great. It's she's great. like she can see the gates of hell, and you can see in her eyes that she's seen the gates of hell. <laughs> you know, it's like uh, it's brilliantly acted. And yeah. now I was like breathless here looking at it. I've, I think I saw it uh, just on Channel 4, like on TV when I was quite young, but I didn't know what it was. And so I had that that thing that happens occasionally. when. So when I got the Arrow disc, I was watching it. And about a third of the way through, I thought, have I seen this? Am I? Do I know this movie? And then there's that really lovely bit where you're like, fuck yes, this is that great film. I have seen, oh yeah. And like just little fragments of it that are familiar. Like I didn't remember very much about it, but yeah, it's a fantastic movie. Uh, some people that you want to see more often as well. Like, I mean, Oliver Reed and Karen Black together as yeah. like a couple is, uh, wow, it's intense. And yeah. this limo driver that is like so enigmatic. <laughs> From the start, you see him, mm, that guy's not good. <laughs> yeah, there's something up there. There's something weird. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, this one was a, yeah, a big shocker for me. I really liked it. Really, really much. That's awesome. Um, my second recommendation, I feel like, because I've mentioned it, I sort of alluded to it uh, when we were talking about the box set. It's maybe a little obvious, but it's the uh, it's the documentary that's on the big big box set, um, the Godfather oh, of Gore, which is really just the sort of definitive insight into Herschel's career and his his output. Is is there any chance that Arrow are going to release that as a either a standalone or as part? I know that some of the other films from the box set are coming out now. Do you know if that's yeah, it's, it's coming out like slowly? But I, I wouldn't know about this one because, as I told you, I'm from the action. <laughs> so uh, we will <laughs> we will see. When the people upstairs, the fine people upstairs, like we make a decision, it also depends on the rights. You know, I don't know where it's at. I know it's yeah, something weird has. But it was it, made for something weird, wasn't yeah. it? So that's uh, that's um, something to talk with Lita Petrucci, maybe, or you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was directed by uh, Helen Lotter and uh, Jimmy Manson mm. directed it. Uh, it's a feature-length documentary about the career of Herschel Gordon Lewis. It starts really early on. It talks about the nudie cuties and the, the like, the early driving, like sort of sexploitation stuff yeah, that he nobody, was doing. Nobody better than Helen Lotter to talk about this as well. So. Absolutely, absolutely. And yeah, and it goes all the way through his career. I mean, if you think about the fact that when people in our sphere think of Herschel Gordon Lewis. Um, they think of Blood Feast as kind of the inception. Often they think of Blood Feast as the, 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 the beginning of it all. I think the documentary doesn't even get to Blood Feast until about 20, 25 minutes <laughs> in. Because it really it is so exhaustive. And, it, and it, obviously Herschel features in it very heavily himself. Uh, John Waters is in it. Yes. To quite I always think extent. of Serial Mum when you think about Blood Feast. Uh, absolutely. Well, there you go. Serial Mum's another fantastic film to, to sort of reference to it because it's... In fact, I think that Serial Mum might have been the first time I heard the name of Blood Feast because yeah, I yeah. saw Serial Mum when it came out on video in the UK and I'd definitely not seen a Herschel Gordon Lewis film at that, that point in my life. But I remember them talking about Blood Feast. They had the poster Being for Blood Feast. Being completely hypnotised by the yeah, footage. Yeah, absolutely. This is a sheep's tongue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so if, you, if you're able to, I think there is, a, there is a standalone DVD of it in the States from something weird, but if you're able to, to pick up the box set, it's, it's in there as well. Yeah, it is. It's it, a fantastic. It's the last um, set, the last disc of the set. Yeah, the last disc of the set. 
So our second tier of recommendations is just things you've seen, things you've caught recently. Um, you mentioned one to me that I hadn't seen before. I hadn't seen myself from the festival circuit last year. What was that? It's loose. Tillman Singer's loose. It's uh, yeah. It was kind of a a bit of a star in the in the festival circuit for the last year. I mean, it's been shown around in Europe uh, like this year as well. But I caught I caught it at Fantasia in Canada uh, last year. And I was lucky enough to have the fucking middle seats, Amazing. the best seats in the house, <laughs> uh, with my dear friend uh, Hermanita Abraham. And uh, we were like, you know, nearly holding hands because it's only uh, an hour and 10 minutes. It's a very oh, strong, tight. powerful film. It's very visual. It's, uh, it's, uh, it comes to the senses, you know, I really violate, violate your senses. I mean, the first time I saw it was a screener and I was like, what, half watching it because I was working as well. And I was like, no, I, f I feel that I have to see this in the cinema. And yes, I caught the screening at Fantasia and I was blown, you know. You see that frog from Futurama with the eyes the going... Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> that was pretty much me at the end of the screening <laughs> and so, pretty much everyone. <laughs> so without any spoilers, uh, are you able to say what the movie's about? Well, it's really hard to say what it's about because it's more of an experience and people like tagged it as a sort of a possession sort of film. Oh, that music to my ears. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is. It is really like uh, you sit down and you just take it in because on top of like being like wonderfully acted and uh, also very close earrings, like very little locations, there is this abandoned, like uh, look like an abandoned police station. And um, how to say it's a... Uh, yeah, you just take it in, and the fact that the cinematography is absolutely wonderful, that it's shot on 16 mil, the grain is absolutely uh, outstanding. The, Beautiful. The sound design, everything, the art direction, everything out there is just like so fresh and so nice. And it's one of these films that, you know, uh, that we're lacking nowadays, where like people are just over patronizing the, the, the audience, always trying to tell them what they should feel, what they should see. And with this film, it's just like, open your eyes, take it in. Much and, more experiential. Uh, and if it works for you, it just works wonders. So people that came out of that screening was just like, either, eh, what was that? Or completely, as I said, the frog. <laughs> <laughs> the eyes going, what have I just seen? I want more of this. So anyone out there that hasn't seen Loose should see it. I think Terracotta's got it for the UK. Oh, okay. It's been released in the US with the Yellow Veil guys. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, I would totally watch out for this and for their next film. And it's, you say Terracotta have it coming out or it's already available? I think they have it coming out. I think it's in the works. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a first feature film as well of these guys from Germany. And uh, yeah, I would totally watch out for what they're going to do next because they're, like, what they're doing is completely outstanding, personal and very super vibrant. Like if it touches you, it touches you deep. So yeah, I would recommend like, Awesome. For sure. <laughs> I'll, I'll check it out. Yeah. Um, my first recommendation, uh, so I've been to uh, a fair number of film festivals recently, uh, Overlook uh, Film Festival uh, last weekend, which was amazing. Um, lovely, um, lovely, hospitable people out there. Uh, saw some great stuff and obviously the amazing city of New Orleans. And then uh, the Cannes Film Festival uh, the week before that, two weeks before. I, my entire life is like a weird waking dream at the moment. <laughs> I've, I've not, not slept for months. Um, uh, so I've seen some amazing films. 
I know that there's a there's an innate issue with recommending films that you've seen at festivals, especially recently, because they're not going to be necessarily available for people. Mm -hmm. um, but that's kind of all I've been watching, unless you count the Shaw Brothers stuff that I watch constantly. So, <laughs> but I always I feel like I recommend too much Shaw Brothers, and also a lot of that's not particularly there accessible he goes again. either. <laughs> so, um, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to recommend two films that are on the festival circuit. I'm pretty sure they're both going to get distribution in some form or another pretty soon, but they also have a little bit of online stuff that you can go and check out as well so um the first one of those uh is greener grass um directed by jocelyn deboa uh, and dawn luebe lubi i don't know how to pronounce that surname i apologize but um it's an absolutely amazing uh sort of like surrealist comedy imagine if quentin dupuis of rubber and Who? Uh, quentin dupuis, um, <laughs> quentin dupuis. <laughs> <laughs> my long-term <laughs> tactic of just fucking guessing <laughs> has been rumbled <laughs> how do you no. pronounce his name quentin dupieux quentin dupieux 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 okay okay quentin dupieux no oh that's cute no, Go on. No, I, i'm just butchering your language i apologize anyway a fucking amazing director. He actually had a new film at Cannes that I didn't get a chance to see, but I hear amazing things. But imagine that kind of sensibility, little dash of the sort of American Tim and Eric, and it, there's no coincidence. There's no coincidence that like Eric Wareheim turned up in reality. Like there's, These they're guys. obviously kindred spirits. So this is part of that same esthete, but place it into the sort of like pastel colored, cardboard cutout suburban world of uh, the beginning of uh, Edward Scissorhands, like the ru that rural America, but with those surrealist anti-comedy sensibilities to it. And it's just fucking incredible. Uh, Jocelyn and Dawn uh, did a short film, uh, also called Greener Grass, uh, which, um, which this is an expansion of. So that is available online if you want to go and check oh, that awesome. out. It's really, really worth going and looking at. It's got a lot of uh, a lot of like American comic actors in it that you'll recognise from stuff. Uh, there'll be a lot of oh that guy oh huh. <laughs> like from from other things that you like. Um, it's essentially a sort of a peculiar story of like social one-upmanship and losing things and dissatisfaction. But then there's also like human to animal transformations <laughs> and a serial killer subplot. And <laughs> it's just fucking great. Um, so yeah, Greener Grass, I'm hoping it gets a distribution in the UK nice and quickly. Um, but if not, you can temper your anticipation with the short film, which is really worth checking out. So that. that <laughs> I will, definitely will. Greener Grass. Uh, what else have you got? Well, another one that is like not a new film, but is for me an all-time favorite from my, you know, Kitty, weird kitty days when I was watching Canal Plus and I had the chance to watch a pre-release in the cinema at Fantasia as well. Hail Fantasia, best fucking festival. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and it's just been released like what, a few months ago on uh, the super awesome label Vinegar Syndrome. Yeah. And it is Body Melt. Oh, fucking Body Melt. That's so good. Body fucking Melt. I mean, <laughs> this film, if you haven't seen it, just like, I don't know, sell your grandma's jewelry or whatever and order it online. I mean, They've done a stellar job on the restoration. They came back like to the original 16 mil elements rather than using the blow-up copy of 35. It looks crisp. The soundtrack is booming. It's like this early 90s techno kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And this film is like it doesn't compromise a second. I mean, in Vimeuville, 
things are going wrong. People are taking these vitamin supplements that turns them like uh, whatever defect they have is like exaggerated. Or I can say without spoiling is uh, exploding penis. And so <laughs> I would say, <laughs> I mean, this is such fun. And it's got this redneck element again that I found really, really creepy. It's like oh. the Australian redneck. Australian redneck, even worse. My God, the outback, like, oh my God, I wouldn't like to be there. But yeah, it's like uh, people eating like kangaroos, thyroid, thyroid glands, yeah. uh, like uh, a weird incestual sex, uh, transformation, happy-go-lucky family wanting to have a nice vitamin and nice brunch turning into a fucking nightmare. It is <laughs> so fun. I mean, I ruined the screening for everyone in Canada because I was clapping so much and just like <laughs> cheering every five seconds. I mean, if you haven't seen it and you like fun gore uncompromising movies body melt is for you like all oh, body trash as it's yeah, known as well it's fucking amazing for english listeners of a certain age uh if you needed any more sale on it it's got harold from neighbors in it <laughs> his ear falls off he says fuck it's everything he wanted from harold from neighbors <laughs> yeah oh fantastic yeah a resounding double recommendation like oh, oh it is super oh, endorse that my second watch, uh, also uh, not technically available at the moment, I apologise, um, uh, is the fantastic film with a terrible title, um, The Vast of Night. It's directorial debut by Andrew Patterson. Uh, it, it, uh, I think it got some awards at Slamdance, the sort of peripheral, not quite Sundance, <laughs> that plays alongside Sundance in like a sort of gymnasium or a hotel room or something. <laughs> uh, it played at Overlook, which is where I saw it. Uh, Andrew was there introing it and he said that that was the first time it had been shown in a proper theatre but there is zero chance that this isn't going to be picked up and like paraded around it's going to be a big deal in the same way that like Del Toro will be like yes you you are now a, uh, like a top tier filmmaker you're coming with me uh, I suspect that someone like Spielberg is going to do that to, to Patterson set in the 50s uh, it's quite a quiet sci-fi um, a rule of thumb if you're going to a genre festival and uh, and there's a movie in the lineup that isn't strictly the genre that the festival normally has it's probably incredible because mm -hmm. for them to be willing to like go against the <laughs> ethos of the festival to let it in it has to be something special um, and this is no exception to that um, it's yeah it's just gorgeous it's really beautifully shot it's really like amazingly acted there's a fuckload of long monologues in it like young actors delivering incredible incredible monologues it's really 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 good looking there's a um there's a trailer for it on vimeo that andrew patterson put up himself on his own vimeo channel but if you search for the vast of night terrible title v-a-s-t vast of night uh if you search for that on vimeo you'll be able to find it it's essentially a very very fancy single shot cut from the film but it should whet your appetite a little bit uh and hopefully that'll be that'll be rocketing into screens near you soon so yeah check that out <laughs> <laughs> definitely okay i th i think we're kind of at the end have you got anything else you want to say to our listeners once again <laughs> all the south on the rise again <laughs> go go watch herschel gordon lewis if you like gore movies and you want to know where they come from i would say go for the godfather of gore yeah, Do it. he is a, a wonderful, wonderful man. It's a, a great shame he's no longer with us. Um, thank you so much. Do you have a Twitter handle you would like to share with our listeners? Do you do Twitter? No, it's the only one I don't do. You don't do Twitter? Well, Instagram, anything? Anything else? I do Instagram, yeah. What's your handle on Instagram? My handle on Instagram, Nora McKenney. And uh, also Lamara, Free Lamara. It's the band that I'm part of. Nice. So yeah, that's what I do on Instagram. 
Thank and you. And lots of weird rubbish and like film clips that I found like super funny. That's what we want. That's, what That's we fantastic. Want. I, as ever, am at Thirteen Finger Effects. Um, thank you so much for joining us. And um, yeah, we'll we'll see you again soon. Hear you again. Speak speak to you again soon. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, you very much. No problem. Bye bye. Bye.